Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. The Lord is good, isn't he? Have you ever known him to be bad? That's because we say we serve a good God. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about what's in a name. What's in a name? We're going through the uh, fourfold gospel uh, that the Alliance adheres to, and it's it's a uh, foundational truths that are found in the Word of God. And the very first one is Christ our Savior. And I want to talk to you today about what's in that name. Now, I don't know about you, but I have, I have a few hobbies. Anybody have a hobby? And if you're watching online, good morning. Glad that you are with us. Uh, I like anthroponomy. Yes, anthroponomy. It's really the study of human names, where we get our names from. Now, etymology is the study of the origin of names, but... Uh, but I like, to, I like to discover where people get their names. Now, it always amazes me. It's always amazed me. And, and I'm sure that you have met people and you've heard their names and it, it's really amazed you. But it, it, it just astounds me how some parents determine the names of their children. You know where this is going. I will give you an example. There is a family, their last name is Baum, B-A-U-M. Yes, they named their son Adam. There was a family, their last name was Barr, B-A-R-R. They named their daughter Candy. Can you imagine going through life with the name Candy Bar? And one of the worst I've seen is, is the family who has their, their, their last name as Dwop, D-W-O-P-P-E, Dwop. And they named their son Wayne, Wayne Dwop. I'm not making them up. I mean, these are just too good to make up. And, and the list is so lengthy, I'm not going to get it, but it just amazes me. It makes you wonder, what were they thinking? Now, I know that there's many parents that name their children in honor of, of somebody that they really liked or perhaps a family member. I know I get my, my Christian name after an uncle that died during World War II. So... I, it kind of makes me want to live up to that. And I know that also in, in uh, our family on, on, the, on the girls' side of things, they have, there's four generations that have the last or the middle name of Jane. So it's, it just keeps on going. I like the name Jane, so that works out well. And uh, many, many parents opt for popular names. That's why... Yeah, you go through life, and, and uh, at one time, about every other girl was named Linda or Sue. Uh, and now, you know, now, you know, then there was all the Mandys, and, the, you know, and, and you know, and then, then the Laurens, and then all of that. But there was, uh, it's just popular names. 
And then there's some parents that opt for the unique, one-of-the-kind names. You, you ever met somebody like that? The, the, uh, the rock guitarist Frank Zappa named his son Moon Unit. My guess is he is probably the only person in the entire world with the name of Moon Unit. I pray to God he's the only one in the world with the name of Moon Unit. However, in many of the people in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, they chose names that would speak about the character or the purpose in life of that individual. I remember when, when Eli, Eli died and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were killed in, in, in action. I believe it was Hophni uh, had a, had a, uh, his wife gave birth and because the because the high priest and because his sons were killed, he, she named her son Ichabod, which means God has departed. And if you look through the Old Testament, you will find over and over again how many names that reference and tell a story. It's almost a universal right for parents to name their children in every in every culture parents name their children now if you have a a phone and you want to take notes or if you want to write notes that would be great we're not going to have the scripture on screen for a couple of reasons the one the main reason is that i have discovered that if you hear something and then you write it down you remember about 50% more and then if you write it again when you get back home, you'll remember about 80 to 90% of it. So it's important to kind of hear and then go back and read and rewrite. But it's a universal right for parents to name their children, and it's no different in Scripture. Matthew chapter 1, Jesus was born, and, and our Heavenly Father gives him his name. He sends an angel, and he tells Joseph this in Matthew 1, chapter 20, or Matthew chapter 1, verses 20, 21. He says, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's a powerful passage of scripture. Because in it, Jesus gets his name. Though eight days later, he, he, is, he is given his name in the temple. But, but God goes through an angel and says, Joseph, I want you to name him Jesus. Which means Yahweh saves. Did you get it? God is saying, here is the Savior of the world, and I am naming him Savior of the world, and he is going to save his people, not from Rome or, or not from any other uh, nation that's going to rise up through time, but he is the Savior for all time. He is going to save them from their sins. Isn't that powerful? God wanted the world to know 
that he named his son for what he, who he was and what he would do. Jesus, God with us, and he's the Savior of the world. I, I want you to, to know that, it, that Jesus knew at an early age who he was and what he was going to do. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, And I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus understood early that he needed to be about his father's business at the age of 12. And, and when priests uh, reach the age of 30, they're able to minister in the temple. And, and at 30, Jesus began his ministry. And he understood that his ministry was not just in the temple proper, but he had a definite ministry to seek and to save humanity. Jesus' disciples understood this. Mark 10, 45. Most people believe that Mark uh, wrote or penned the words for Peter. And he says, For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others, and to give my life as a ransom for many. The disciples knew over time that Jesus' role, that Jesus' job, that Jesus' ministry was to save humanity. In fact, the writers of the New Testament, Paul talking to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, this is a true saying. I don't know why he says that, because he's not going to say, okay, this is a lie. That just, that just popped in my head. I don't know why I said it, but I'm Forgive me, let's move on. This is a true saying. Everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that amazing that he says this is a true saying and everybody should believe it. Everybody needs to believe it. But we live in a world where a lot of people don't believe it. But for those that, that are seeking salvation, those that have a hunger in their heart for redemption, when you hear the gospel, it rings true in your heart because Christ came into the world not to make our life better in this life, not to give you a full bank account, not to give you the extras that you want, but Christ came into this world to save sinners. That was free. First century Christians knew Jesus' mission. You've seen the fish acrostic? That is simply stood for Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. See, most people, I believe if you're listening online or, or if you're here today, most of us understand that Jesus Christ is the Savior. You've heard it whether you know it in your own heart or to be true, but do you understand all that Jesus saves from and all that Jesus saves for? And you say, well, I don't know, and I'm so glad that you said that because I'm going to tell you. Here's some areas of life that sometimes we don't, that we kind of overlook because Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. He didn't save partly. He saved completely. He saved us, number one, from our sins. 
He saves from our sins. I want you to get this. I want you to write this down. Our sins are forgiven. Acts 2.38, Paul, I mean, uh, Peter preaches to the, to the crowd and they're, and they're pricked in their hearts. Man, they, they just, they realized, oh my gosh, we just crucified the Savior. And Peter says to them, after they ask what they needed to do to, to be saved, he says, I want you to repent. I want you to change your ways. I want you to change your thinking about Christ. For he wasn't just a prophet. He was the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. And he says, and I want to let each of you be baptized in the name of Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Now, I don't believe baptism here forgives sins, but what, what Peter is trying to express is simply this, that forgiveness of sins comes through our own and our one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. When that blood was shed on Calvary, that there was an open door that made a way for anybody that believes in him, that trusts in him, that comes to him, that repents of their ways and asks him to be Lord and Savior, their sins can be forgiven. What is a sin? Hamartia, just missing the mark. You ever play darts? When you throw and you're trying to get the bullseye, but sometimes you get the wall? That's kind of the way sin is. We're trying to get the bullseye, but we just kind of miss. That's what sin is. It's, it's not making it to the full grave. And here's the beautiful thing. When Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, everyone, I mean everyone, it's an inclusive word, everyone has opportunity that believes in Christ to have their sins forgiven. You say, well, what sins are we talking about? What do you mean? You mean the, the sins of my past? Yes. How about my present sins? Yes. What about the sins that uh, I will commit in the future? And you say, oh, I'm not going to commit any sins in the future. Well, I think you just lied. We are sinful people, aren't we? What about our future sins? Yes. Is there provision to have forgiveness? Yes. Is, what about the, the, all of the sins that you know about? Remember when I know about when I gave my life to the Lord, there were a lot of things that just crept up in my mind. And, I, and every time something crept up, I'd just say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. And it seemed like about three and a half weeks later, I was ran out of things to ask him to forgive me for. But it's all those things that you know. But what about the sins that you don't even know that you've committed? Did God forgive those? Yes. It's the sins of the past, the sins of the present, sins of the future, sins that are known, sins that are unknown. It is all comprehensive that Christ forgives sin. Colossians 2.13 
Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You weren't just on the outs with God. You were in the cemetery. You were dead to him. You were doomed for judgment. There was no hope. There was no opportunity for us. But he says, then God made you alive with Christ. How? He forgave all your sins. Romans 4, 7. Blessed are, are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Have your transgressions been forgiven? You're blessed. You're blessed. And you say, but I have so many problems going on in this life. I have so many troubles going on in this life. If your sins have been forgiven, if your sins have been pardoned, if your sins have been removed, you are the most blessed person on the face of the earth because if your sins are forgiven and you know Christ and Christ knows you, when that trumpet sounds, you will live in eternity and rule and reign with him as a child of the living God. And I will promise you this 70 plus years in this life will not mean anything compared to eternity. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. Blessed are they whose transgressions are covered, whose sins are covered. I like that. Romans 4, 7, whose sins are are covered. It's passive. That means you didn't cover your sins. Somebody covered your sins. You go in when your kids are, are, are little and they're sleeping, and I don't know why, but they're just like little heaters, and they kick off all their covers. You, know, you ever notice that with little kids? But what do parents do? You go in and you cover them. And you make sure they're all squared away for the evening. And, and our sins were covered. We didn't cover ourselves. Christ did the work. Can I, can I just say a little side note here? Don't allow the adversary to beat you up. Don't allow the adversary to defeat you by always bringing up the things that you have done. Your sins are covered. Your sins are forgiven. The only time that, that, that they ever come up is when the adversary brings them up in your own mind and then make, tries to make you feel guilty and tries to make you feel like you're less than perfect and looks at you and says, yeah, you've made these mistakes and yeah, look at that. You have no right to walk into that church. You have no right to worship God. You have no right because look what you've done. You need to look at him and say, you know what? I did do that, but now I am pardoned, now I am cleansed, now I am forgiven, I am covered, not by my own worth, but by the worth of God himself. He saved us from our sins. What else did he do? He gave us peace. Peace. 
Isn't that a great word? Peace. 2 John 1.3 says this. May grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God our Father and from Jesus Christ his Son, be with us who live in the truth and love. Peace comes from God by our forgiveness through Christ's sacrifice for us. Peace, true peace. What kind of peace are we trying to, to convey? That peace that when you lay your head down at night, you know that if you don't wake up in this life, it is well with your soul. Peace, knowing that the creator of the heavens and the earth smiles when he looks at you. Peace, knowing that there is a longing in the heart of Christ to see you. Can't wait to wrap his arms around you. That peace that comes from a clear conscience. How do you have your conscience cleared? Having your sins forgiven. Not only do we have peace, but are you ready for this? We are declared righteous. We're declared righteous. What does that mean? Look at Romans 5, 19. For as through the one man's disobedience, that one man being Adam, the many were made sinners. Everybody sins. Everybody is a sinner because of Adam. Thank you, sir. And even so, through the obedience of one, it's Christ, many are made righteous. How are we made righteous? Through Christ, through the forgiveness of sins, his righteousness is imputed to us. And, and when God looks at us, we are in right standing. That word righteous just simply means we are in right standing with God. If God is the judge of all the earth, when you stand before him and he opens the books and he says, there's nothing in here. There's nothing to hold you. Why? Because you are righteous. You are living in a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins that comes from Jesus being our all-sufficient Savior. I am not right on my own, but I am right because Christ has declared me right. You know what gets me, what I like about that? He made the rules. He's the one that made the rules. I'm not declaring myself righteous because I believe I'm righteous. I'm, I'm declaring myself righteous because he says I'm righteous. And he has never lied. God can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. It's the antithesis of his very character and being. And if God says if Christ is your Savior and the blood of Christ which was shed for our sins is applied to your life and you're walking in relationship with him, you not only have peace, but you are declared righteous perfect in the eyes of God. 
get this, not only are we declared righteous, we are new creations, new creatures. I like that word creature. We're a new, we're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, anytime you see that word therefore, it means because of what I just said. If anyone is in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are that, that term, anyone in Christ, that means you're a passionate follower of Christ. You are devoted. You know that he is your Lord and Savior. If you are in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We are no longer the person we used to be. We are no longer the species we used to be. We were children of wrath. Now we're children of the living God. Romans 6, 4. Get this. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's why we baptize by submersion. It's symbolic of the fact that Christ died because, because before he died, his life was through the blood that was in his body, that sinless blood. But he died and was buried. But when he rose again, he didn't rise under the power of blood. He rose under the power of the spirit of the living God. It wasn't blood keeping him alive, but the very presence and power of the spirit of almighty God. And don't kid yourself, when we're baptized, we're saying, I'm dying to this fleshly man, I'm dying to this fleshly woman, and you're buried, and when you walk, you're no longer living according to the flesh, now you're following the very presence and power and spirit of God. That's why Paul said, we don't follow the flesh, we follow the spirit. And he said, he goes on to say, if you go ahead and die before the Lord comes back, when the trumpet sounds, it's not going to be the blood that was in your body that raises you. It's going to be the spirit of God that lives in you. When that trumpet sounds and your name is called, the presence of God that lives in you will raise you up. Might start preaching in a minute. We have new lives. That's why, that's why Christ continually works on us and pushes us and provokes us to, to not give in to our carnal nature. Why? Because that's the old one. That's the one that's going to fade. That's the one that's going to die. That's the one that, 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 that the things that we do, the carnal things, they, they are doomed for destruction, but everything we do for Christ is, is we're, we're living for life. We're living for eternity, and everything we do for him will last for eternity. We are new creatures, and as new creatures, we have eternal life eternal life eternal life eternal 
I want that to soak in, to seep in, to for us to comprehend it. My father-in-law always told me, he said, Jess, it doesn't take long to live a life. And I look back now and I say, man, it's true. Eternity. We have eternal life. Not we're going to have eternal life. I want you to catch this. When you have the Spirit of Christ in you, when that same Spirit which raised Christ lives in you, when you became a child of God, eternity is in you. Got to catch this. When I die in this flesh, I am not going to die. I'm just going to go get a new body. And that one won't get tired and won't grow old and won't have a sinful nature. And it will be so glorious that I can be filled to the top with the power and presence of God and be able to withstand it. If you are a child of God, it's not that you're going to have eternal life, but you have eternal life. Not only do we have eternal life, but we are God's children. The children of God. Think about that. The children of God. Do we act like the children of God? John 1.12 But to all, I love the word all, it's an inclusive word, that means everybody. All who believed him and accepted him. Now that's that's interesting. Believed in him and accepted him. Understood what they heard, believed it, and acted on it and said, yes, I'm all in. Here's my life. All who believed and accepted him, he gave, past tense, the right to become children of God. That's why when you are able to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, you're not praying to your physical Father, but that spiritual being that you are on the inside. When you begin to walk with Christ, and this is not in the notes, but when you begin to walk with Christ and your internal person, your spiritual being becomes stronger than your physical being, and you begin to see life not in the physical but in the eternal, and you begin to walk in that relationship, that's when you begin to understand that, that we are the children of God. This flesh isn't the child of God, but it's you, the one that's inside, the one that God ha has designed, that one that you are growing, ever growing to be more like Christ, that that's that person. It's a child of God. You are a child of the living God. And his Holy Spirit lives in you. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, I would say, this, this, 
We're not changing the scripture because you can't do that. Because you are children, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart. And it's the spirit that calls out, Father, Father. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. He has given us that spirit, that spirit of love for all people, that spirit of self-discipline that we can overcome our character flaws through him. There is no need to fear in this world, and there is no need to fear our circumstances in this world. For if God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is our advocate, 1 John 2, 1. My children, am I writing to you so that you may not commit sin? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What he is saying is, even though that you're born again, even though that you are now a, a child of God, even though your sins have been forgiven, you will stumble and you will fall. And when you do... You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I have messed up. And allow him to, to bless you and to strengthen you because there's something about the confession of what we've done and where we've been and what we've been thinking that makes us right in his eyes. We have an advocate. The accuser has no accusation against us because Christ has erased our transgressions. Nothing, nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from, I'm going to hurry, because I'm running out of time and I don't want the children's workers to, to crucify me. Nothing can separate us from God. Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if there is nothing that can keep you. There's no addiction strong enough. There's no habit strong enough. There's no personal influence that's more powerful. If you are in with God, there is nothing that can separate you from him. All right, two more things and then we're quitting. Number one, death has no power over us. Death has no power over us. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live and whoever lives and believes in me will never die I'm not going to die I'm just going to get a new body death can't defeat the child of God if you're a child of God that death death has no more power over you I know when we lose loved ones now, we, we, we weep, we cry, we look at it and say, oh, that, that sting of death. But there's going to be a day when we're reunited with all of those believers. And the scripture says we're going to look back then and say, death, where is your sting now? Death has no power over us. Why? 
because of the cross of Christ. This is the last time I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. We have an inheritance that will never, ever perish. You have an inheritance that will never perish. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, but's kept in heaven for you. You have an eternal reward awaiting you. And no, no moth can get in, no rust can get in, no thieves can get in. It's there, it's ready for you, and it's going to be amazing. Can you imagine? Would you stand with me? Can you imagine standing before the Lord and he hands out all of your reward all your treasure and he says here you go my faithful friend my faithful servant and you look at him and you realize that everything he just gave you everything that he's lavished on you it's because of him that he's the all-sufficient savior the bible says we're going to take the crowns that we have and cast them out his feet and say we're not worthy but you are i'm telling you don't let the adversary defeat you. Don't let him trick you. Don't let him believe that, that Christ came and died and he's just the Savior for a little bit. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. He is a universal Savior. He's an exclusive Savior. He is an impartial Savior. And he says, come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know what area of life that, that you're struggling with. Maybe you're not struggling with any. Maybe you can just lift your hands and say, praise God. But Christ came to set us free. He came to, to give us life and more abundantly. And I don't know if you're struggling with the fact that, that, that Christ can forgive your sins, but I will promise you this, God can forgive anything through Christ doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought. God will pardon you through the blood of Christ. And you say, well, I'm struggling with some things in life. Allow Christ to be the all-sufficient Savior. If you're wrestling with with temptation, allow Christ to be the all-sufficient Savior. Allow that spirit that he placed in you to grow and, and to be strong through prayer and through reading of the word and devoting to him, and you will find that the things that you're struggling with will be defeated and conquered and overcome. He gives joy to the joyless. He gives, he, he gives blessing to those that need blessing. It doesn't matter what we're facing. If the adversary is pushing you down and saying he's not sufficient for you in this area, you need to look at him and say, devil, you're a liar. You've always been a liar. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Because he's the all-sufficient Savior. Would you pray with me?